Wow, you're in for a treat today. So I'm I'm interviewing or having a conversation with a really incredible photographer. I'm really lucky at the moment. I've got I'm friends with three, four great, great photographers, and um, it's an absolute joy. I grew up um, as a photographer's um, son, assistant. Um, it comes with the territory. My dad was a photographer in the seventies. 80s and um, and 90s and I um I grew up carrying bags and light meters working at exposures for him um and he and he kind of did everything from uh, weddings when when you know times are tough and you needed some cash in or for friends and then he had a big studio as well in in the midlands that would take like forklift trucks he did quite a lot of industrial commercial advertising photography and so I spent a lot of time behind the camera I spent more time in the dark room actually um, processing these things and so the magic of photography is not is not lost on me and I'm really lucky I know um, I know that the person we're going to speak to today is incredible Californian photographer called Andrew Painter um, but I'm also really good friends with um, Jim Marsden um, Christian Bamford Jonathan Cherry it, all amazing photographers I'm really lucky at the moment to have to have these people around me because they they're, they're really inspiring people photographers it, it, it's quite a fascinating skill set when I was younger I was always worried about getting the maths wrong getting the timing and the exposure now obviously digital has, has, has solved some of that stuff um, but there are many people most of the photographers I, I mentioned who, who shoot on film uh, if not in instead of digital certainly as well as digital and so it's kind of helped me understand that that really photography is about observation photography is, is about invisibility it's about being in the middle of something without quite clearly being being um, controlling of that space and of, and, of, and of the things that sit around you and um, I, I, I genuinely believe a photographer's greatest skill is is invisibility and observation and i mean we talk a bit about this with this conversation with andrew andrew is um uh, an amazing man uh, an incredible photographer and we talk about the way that he tackles briefs you know he gets given uh, you know long he gets given a lot of leeway to have a longer term relationship with the people that he's photographing for now with, with that comes trust you know you've got to really trust him and trust what he's doing and um and we we kind of dig around that area in in some detail it's an absolute joy to to talk to him and he you know he grew up in he grew up in america he grew up skateboarding um he grew up living the life that i saw on the tv and, and kind of wanted in in so many ways um and he is um genuinely one of the nicest people I've met. I was really fortunate enough this year. Um, two things happened. He, well, last year actually. Now he, he spoke at the do lectures. So I was really lucky to um, to have a few days with him. And it was a really stressful do lectures this year for me for lots and lots of reasons. Um, but having having both Jim and Andrew there, who I find incredibly grounding, um, was a real joy. And then we all, as a family, went on holiday, um, kind of a big West Coast. Um, drive from from san francisco up through oregon up to portland and as part of that we spent um, spent some time with andrew in oakland and just the kindness and the humanity of the man is absolutely uh, incredible um genuinely lovely lovely person um incredibly modest um amazing um talent and and i'm really proud to call him my friend so I hope you enjoy, I really hope you enjoy the conversation. Um, thank you for listening. How do you work? Well, I, I, that's thoughtful to say and to acknowledge. And, um, and that, for the most part, is, is entirely true. And I think that I attribute that approach, honestly, from um, the way that my, my mom and dad um, raised me, just teaching me the importance of relationships and how relationships can shape so many things. And... Um, and it's easy to, to walk into a new relationship. Everyone loves beginnings. But then if you're just constantly doing beginnings, I feel like there's n there's so little to explore because the beginnings, just like dating someone, 
um, is like this magical 24 hour period, but then you're not confronted with what it's like to, to pass that line and to really kind of grow with another party, another person. Um, and as a creative person, I find that when you get, when you get that chance to grow with someone over time, um, you grow together and they influence you and you influence them. And it's to me like such a great way to kind of, um, to grow up creatively. Um, and I think I maybe mentioned this at the do how, um, the projects with, with David and Claire and the projects that I, they're the ones that I had been working on. Honestly, I look back and, and realize that even looking at those, the trajectory of those pictures from beginning to where I am at today, like I feel like I've grown so much and I, and I, I have to, um, I have to give them credit for allowing me a space to grow. Um, because you don't get those kind of chances when you're just kind of nipping in for like a moment, like a sniper, and then you're taking off to the next project. It's, it feels, it feels a little transactional in a way that is less, um, attractive to me. That's really interesting. And do you, do you feel like you deliver, oh, I'm going to use the word better, which I use mm. a lot actually, but it's <laughs> what it actually means. Do you, do you feel you deliver work that has more, more validity, that has more artistic mm. That's a good question. I, I, well, I mean, I, I admit that there are sprinkled projects in between the big ones that I do that um, are are less long term. So I, I, you know, as a working photographer, you can't always just say no. Um, so comparing that to the other things, everything, every project's different. It's tough. Um, it's kind of, you know, the beauty of doing the long term thing is that you're constantly in control of the scope of what you're doing with your collaborators, which gives you the freedom and the space to, um, to work the best that you can do because there's as much as I like to lose control, like to not being a studio and to, to be at the homes of mother nature and, and light and, and personalities and everything. Um, there's still a bit of space that allows you the freedom I'm really sorry, we had a Skype failure here. So we lose Andrew for about a minute and a half. Um, and there's no nice way of making that work better other than re-recording the whole thing, but it was so beautiful. I decided I'd just insert this, but instead. So we'll start again now. That you often don't get past. Yeah. So if you're on a series of one night stands, you don't make it to the first part. But, yeah. But actually, there's something- so brilliant. There's something about the visibility and the mm. um, openness that that brings and the honesty that that brings. Yeah. So I can, see, I can see it working in both of those ways. Sure. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think that um, what's great about what David and Claire and, um, and Nick Han do um, is that they try to create um, kind of like a continuity amongst like what we're doing. And so much of that involves like a core group of people that kind of come and go through the shoots. And I think it's really important to establish relationships. Cause I, I mean, I, at the end of the day, I feel like it's a great honor to take pictures of people. There's so many people who make pictures who feel like the opposite that, you know, it, you should feel honored that I'm photographing you where I feel, I feel incredibly gift, like just so honored to have moments with people and and it's a really to me it's not transactional it's quite intimate to make pictures of people because i want to put people in the best light that i could ever put them in and to make them feel like they are who they are i just want to make authentic pictures i don't want to stage things so uh, so much of what i do I, I feel lucky particularly along our train of thought with with hyatt and wales is David and Claire and Nick give me several days to make these pictures so you don't feel like you have to force ideas and rush into things. That They just kind of happen through um, observation and um, in creating, um, creating moments that you know will in inevitably give you what you're kind of after without having to tell people to do things, um, which I kind of find is, is difficult, particularly when you're, you're not shooting models, you're shooting real people um that are you know probably a bit sensitive to the camera that's really interesting so if you if you begin to think of photography as a as a way of creating moments mm. that then make your job 
I'm not going to say easier because that makes yeah. it sound trite, but the, but, no, I think but, but the age you, you know, it, it, I, yeah. I, I always think of, I always think of those crazy, it's Thursday afternoon sessions where you, hey, it's Thursday afternoon, let's get innovative. And right. actually, that seems really forced, but mm. and then, but then you realize that if you if you can help people kind of like settle into it and even meditate a little bit, then mm-hmm. then the see the brainwave changes and you shift from um, alpha to beta to to and mm. theta, which is like the gold of innovation. So, totally. And 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 so you can prepare for better. And I'm I'm seeing I'm in my mind's eye as you're talking. I'm seeing you. <laughs> whether it be on the farm or whether it be with Jeff or any of your other clients, mm-hmm. you in my head create that closeness that, and that, and that situation yeah. lets the truth come out. That's really interesting. And, um, and flattering. I agree. Um, I, you, when you were just saying that it made me think of this thing that Jeff had sent to me, Jeff McFetridge, the Los Angeles artist who also was at do speaking, um, and I have the 10-year photographic project with, I was in Eindhoven, Holland with Jeff, and I was there for about two weeks photographing him as he was doing a a solo show at a museum. And after that trip, I'm shooting all films, so nothing's nothing's right then and there. Um, Jeff had said to me long after that project, he's like, you know, it's funny. You just kind of settled into my family with my wife and daughter and just were kind of part of the scene and and became invisible. And I kind of wondered... Like at certain point during that two week period, like I don't even know if Andrew's taking pictures. Like, is he even taking photos? Like, it was the funniest thing. Like, I obviously would have been a bit offended if he had said that during the project. He he politely waited till months after it, when I had given him the contact sheets. And I think my point was is, I had been able to successfully do what I always want to do, is to create an environment to allow myself to be invisible, but to people to also feel very comfortable with me. Um, because the moment that you can't do that, I feel like your energy is caustic and you're kind of most importantly really interfering with what needs to be doing the production of something, in this case, an art show. So my job was really just to like not interfere, but to capture. Um, and I thought, I just looked back on that quote that Jeff said, it was really funny. I, it was like a, classic kind of backhanded flattering thing to say which is what i obviously want to hear <laughs> and there's something so true about that though isn't there because i you know I, i've i've worked with photo- i've worked with, i'm lucky i've worked with some amazing involved with do actually over time jonathan cherry and 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 jim um i love jim i loved meeting jim at, at the uh, do lectures I've i've never just nerded out with someone for so many minutes it was great chatting with them he's he's amazing and 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 so too jonathan and so too are you but but you're already similar in that there's Mm. there's a real subtlety softness what makes you better photographers to my mind is the way is two things the way you the way you observe Mm. and and, and actually your your own demeanor so you're, 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 all three of you have got this really, and Christian Banfield as well, actually, have got this really brilliant way of almost disarming you. Mm. So forget that there's a photographer in the room. It's just Oh, lovely. that's so nice. Yeah. I think that's an important trait. Um, and I've had, I've had people in the past just say that, um, that, 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 you know, you just want that you just feel comfortable and the moment you feel comfortable, um, you open up. And the quicker you can do that with people, um, I think the better. I, I feel like, I think I may have said this to do. I can't remember. I haven't listened to that thing. But I just feel like one of the main reasons I got into taking pictures really was an excuse. Like it was it was the catalyst to allow me to meet people. Because I've never been like a, an, a mega extrovert. But I've always been incredibly fascinated by people. And I've never been the type just to walk up to strangers and talk to them, even though I, I find myself like attracted to wanting to speak to someone for whatever reason. But the camera gave me the chance to not only to, to meet and talk to strangers, but to kind of hear their lives. Um, and a really good example of that that happened to me this past year is my, my daughter in grade school, who has a friend whose mom was dying of cancer, um, had like months to go. And I'd never known this kid, this little boy's mom, 
but I, I really, really felt compelled to want to talk to her and to moreover to photograph her portrait to do for her husband and children before she passed. Um, and I remember sending a message to her. I found her email address through the school directory and I introduced myself who I was and my intentions and this and that. And I was terrified awaiting the response, like, like a schoolboy waiting for someone to respond as if they, you know, want to be your friend. And she responded, um, delightfully, like she would love to do that. Um, she actually ended up, she was an artist and she appreciated what I had offered to do. So I sat with her for about four hours, 48 hours before she died. And I talk about just like the most incredible kind of exchange between two people. And that I felt so incredibly honored to have had that moment with this person whose time was beyond precious as I was a stranger practically to her. And if it wasn't for the camera, I would have never had that. So I, in a selfish way, like the camera is that catalyst to allow me these ex experiences and exchanges in life that I probably wouldn't be able to get otherwise. That's really amazing. That is mm. so seeing the camera as a, as a, as a key to experience. It feels like it is recording those moments. Um, but also in this world that we live in where it's becoming kind of this universal language and through digital technology, people are just able to sh snap thousands and thousands of pictures. I still find it pleasing to pace myself and to shoot in a pace that doesn't feel like it's interfering or isn't, um, I don't know, what's the right word, Mark? Like may maybe rude, you know, just yeah. like. Yeah, you don't have to shoot shoot it like crazy. It's just like here's here's their pictures and. Well, it's it's rushed, isn't it? So so hmm. it's, it's, uh, do you know what? There's so much here, Andrew, because what you're talking about is mm -hmm. about valuing the experience and the process as much as the outcome. And totally. What I'm left with is this. Um, I'm left with this. <laughs> the shadow of what you said earlier, which which makes me understand that the getting the experience right gives mm. a better outcome so so I, actually the, these two things work in synergy with one another completely that's a and, great observation and and that's left me thinking what makes a great photographer is great people great people make <laughs> i mean I, maybe that's applicable across the board to all vocations who knows um <laughs> you would hope so right <laughs> i think there's something in that absolutely yeah good people make good the, the world go around but i I really, I feel like at the core, if you walk into projects knowing that it's you that should feel honored to be a part of something and not the vice versa, um, that that just puts you in the right space to work hard and to do the best you can because there's a lot of people that are depending on you to do what you're doing and who have shifted their lives to be a part of something. Because um, it, it is, it's a funny business and there's, in any business, a lot of egos and a lot of um, this and that. And, uh, you know, it's if it wasn't for this, like, you know, you and I wouldn't be talking. I wouldn't make these yearly trips to Wales, which I would have never gone to, let alone the far west part of Wales, or to spend days in Bristol, England with Nick Hand at his letterpress shop. I mean, it's it's this camera has allowed me to, to shape my life through these great relationships. Um, that probably would have never happened if I hadn't picked up the camera. And I, and, and I really acknowledge that. And I take that kind of philosophy into what I do, whether it's a commercial project or whether it's a personal project. That, I'm just writing it down. That is a mm. great line. This camera mm. allowed me to shape my life through great relationships. And, and then that, see, that, that, that's then underlined the thought that I was having and was trying to express, which is, is photography selfish? It, it and that sounds mm. really harsh. Is photography as much about the photographer and what you get from it? Photographer as philosopher almost. Yeah, yeah. Is about the, the gift of making a capture that, that helps the client. I agree. And there is a bit of selfishness about it. Absolutely. I, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. I mean, I think about the very last picture in Robert Frank's The American's book. He was a He's a Dutch photographer, wasn't he, Robert Frank? I think he was Dutch. Anyhow, he made this work across America in the in the, the 60s or something. Um, it's kind of an equivocally greatest 
photo- photography book or the top 10 list of photography books. And I, I was always admired his work, but the last picture is the saddest picture. And I think most people would look at it and not really, really realize what's happening here. It's a photograph shot from behind the car, his car of his wife and two young children in the back seat, kind of looking through the rear view glass that just kind of look trapped in, in kind of like imprisoned. They don't look happy like to be in. And it's like Robert Frank has dragged his family across America to do his thing. Meanwhile, they're just kind of like, you know, part of the, the sideshow. And, and it, and it reminded me like it, there's a weird solitary, like it's, it's very solitary. It can be, it can be selfish. My wife often says, "Like, oh, we're going on a holiday. Don't, don't bring the camera." Listen, I mean, I'm sitting there wanting to stop at every other things on the road because I see things and realize there's a time and place for it because it's easy just to put your mind into that state and to think constantly about making pictures. Um, and and there's just times to kind of nip in and nip out of of that mind state. Sorry, that was like a bit. Um, I think I went on a bit of a rant, but I really just kept thinking about that picture, and it's really sad. I'm going to come back to that picture. Is it in in his book, The Americans? Is it that book? It is, yeah. In fact, I'm in my house here in Oakland, California, and I'm going to... I have a bunch of stacks of books in my house. It's terrible. Um, if, If I'm not mistaken, I feel like it's the last picture of the book. I don't see the book. I have not organized my books in alphabetical order or color. They're just there for my kids to go through. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm having a tidy phase at the moment because of, we've, we've just realized we've got too much shit. And the first stage yeah. of having to, of sorting out too much shit is working out what you've got, okay? Right. And, and then the denial phase is, okay, I've got too much shit, but if I, if I, if I, if I pack it tighter, I can keep all the shit. <laughs> and we're in that Mary Kondo phase of trying to organize too much shit rather oh than hold it and say, does it bring joy? But <laughs> you just said something a minute ago, Andrew. So I'm going to ask yeah. you, you're looking through that book. You said um, about when you go on holiday and uh, your wife says, hey, leave the camera behind or leave the camera in the car. And, and you said, you know, in case I see something on the road. Now, what intrigues me here is I can see... I can see your proximity to the person you're photographing being aided by being um, invisible, by being part of them and their lives. How can you take that same skill and, and photograph landscape and things that aren't breathing and living? Right, right. I think that, honestly, they're just meditations. I mean... So much of it, and a lot of the landscape pictures I take, I'm often actually alone. And I kind of, you know, I, I as a as a person living in a very urban place, I've lived in New York City, I've lived in Los Angeles, I live in the San Francisco Bay. We forget how important it is to con- to stay connected to nature and how vital that is for our health, our mindset, everything. Fortunately, we live not far from the mountains in Oakland. Um, so in 15 minutes, I can be at the top of the mountains in the Redwood Forest. And I feel like I know that my mind needs nature as much as I can get it. So so kind of when I, when I say to myself, like, I have to shoot photos, like I want to go shoot photos, I know my mind is saying I need to, I need to get in nature. I need to get away from uh, signs, uh, cars, houses, um, noise, all that stuff, and, and find the lowest decimals um, possible just to kind of recalibrate. And, um, and I've been doing it forever. I grew up near the Appalachian Mountains in North Carolina, so I know how important that kind of stuff is to, to me personally. And the more I was doing it and doing it, I found myself like in these places that were just incredibly beautiful. And the photographs came a part of it afterwards where I realized like these were these like these escapes felt um like little slithers of 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 meditation for me that I wanted to capture as a part of like where I was at whatever time in my life and I also for a few years lived in between Los Angeles and San Francisco kind of lived in both places for about three years so I drove between the two cities which is about a six hour drive and often would just roam off the freeway and shoot photos of places that felt um, disconnected 
to what we're overly connected with. Um, the connectivity I find is, as social people, is is gratifying and important, but but I feel it's equally important to disconnect. And those are places that where I felt really in a, in a like a positive way disconnected to everything that I felt so overly connected to in life. And when you say disconnected, um, do you also mean disconnected from other people as well? Do you seek some yeah. Man, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I admire your spirit and, and the fact that you're, you know, you're an incredibly gracious and social person that everyone kind of admires and loves. And you, you, I, I can tell that you're like a really big people person and I can, I can get to points of that and, and kind of like, and absorb it. Cause I, I appreciate it and I love it. And that's you know, your chance to really connect with people. But I also find myself having to also disconnect to it from it because it, um, I get overwhelmed and I have to like kind of like take a step back and just, um, I don't know, like it's easy to kind of lose yourself and um, in who you are, why you are, what you're doing. And, and when you're so like overly connected and, and busy, busy, busy doing this and socializing and, and you know, going to this thing this night and that thing the next night, you forget about like having quiet time on your own. I forgot who, who told me this, but at some point in my life, I remember getting advice from someone about like the, like the mellow is just as important as like, as the excitement. Like, I mean, we all want to be excited. We all want to be excitable. We all want to do things that have stimulation, but it's easy to forget. Like it's just as important to kind of unplug and be mellow. And for me, it's like a unplugging from everything. And I mean, you, you may not remember this because you're so much further ahead of me in life with your children, but with young kids where it's so stimulating and so exciting and so much um, work, I find myself even more longing for like bits of just like checking out when I can, which isn't, it's few and far between, but I embrace it when I do get it. That's really interesting. And, and you know, I'm listening to you there thinking, I'm like you. And actually, I, I can understand why people think I'm really social and chatty. And, mm -hmm. and, I, and I really enjoy I really enjoy interactions with people. Mm -hmm. but what people don't see is when I'm not like that, because because all I do is hide. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 You're doing yoga in your shed hiding. Well, it's sometimes that. And it's sometimes mm. I've got my earphones on and I'm on the train and I'm just keeping my head down and I always describe it when I run my how to present better course mm -hmm. I always describe it as an introvert extrovert sandwich and, and, and actually maybe they're the wrong words but if I if I do a big talk for like 20 minutes beforehand I cannot speak to anybody unless right. I'm being paid to speak to people and then I have to speak to them and then <laughs> it's all flash and light and and pop music and 1980s makeup and then, <laughs> then I get to the stage and I do the nice things with people afterwards, but then I have to go and hide. I have to go back to my right. hotel room and hide. Right. And, and if I'm on I, could Britain, I, I actually, I like eating dinner on my own and I like right, going right. to a big conference and standing in the corner and watching. And I know that makes me look sad and lonely and people right, do right. then come and feel sorry for me and talk to me. <laughs> but, but actually, I like that. I, I get I'm with you. Yeah, then it sounds like we're like pretty simpatico because so much of your life you're you're busy, busy working, speaking, and then with a family of four children that is growing, and you 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 two are saying that you realize that at, at times you just have to embrace like the solidarity, like the quiet moment in between, which again like the moments on the train, the moments after a speech, the moments between gigs, or the moment alone in your shed, like. That, that that's it. you're echoing exactly what I feel like is so important that so many people miss in life um, is is that's just as important to recharge as it is to to be kind of present and plugged in. Totally, totally, and 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 there's no right or wrong. We, it, we, we deal with the situations as they as they come. Now, Andrew, what I'm really interested in, mm -hmm. I'm really interested in um, how and where you grew up. I want to. I want to know about the sights. I want to know about the. the <laughs> I want to know about the sounds because you. Yeah. And I, but you and I follow the same 
Instagram account, which is called Scene In Between. Oh, love and I, it. You followed that until recently. Um, yeah. and, it, and it kind of encapsulates everything, to my mind, everything between Punk and the Smiths, right? But mm. probably a better definition than that. So tell me about growing up. Tell me about the yeah. kind of you were. I grew up in North Carolina on the East Coast of America, um, which is technically the, the South, as they call it in America. Um, which is a pretty conservative place. I grew up with really great parents, um, but who are quite kind of conservative and kind of old school. And I had to go to cotillion and all that kind of stuff. I have a brother and sister. Um, my brother was like a bit of a Jim Carroll growing up. Because he was really good looking. He was pretty wild. He got a lot of stuff out of his system at a young age. My sister was a debutante. She was like, a pleaser she was very smart and I was stuck in the middle kind of like what do I do with myself um so a lot of my childhood was skateboarding and um and music like that was kind of my escape so and I you made me think of this when you said the Smiths I probably like a lot of people in the 80s um was looking over the, across the pond to you all to music um enamored with Joy Division, New Order, The Smiths, Echo and the Bunnymen, Slow Dive, Ride, My Bloody Valentine. I mean, oh, I was obsessed oh, oh, with bands, actually. Yeah, everything. It was just like for the littlest island pumping out the most incredible amount of music, it was mind-blowing. And the only thing I regret was I never saw any of those bands play live. Um, they never came to where I where I grew up, but they certainly shaped so much of like sonically what my world was. That was kind of my soundtrack, and um, and 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 through that, you know, information wasn't readily available as as it is today. It's all kind of a click away. You really had to work hard to kind of research. And I was um, learning about fashion and how to dress because of those bands, which I really loved. Um, looking at the way the people dressed in the UK and, and that whole scene. So it, going back to the, I don't even know the guy who, who does it, but I, I love what he posts those pictures, the scene in between, like that era to me encompasses like a beautiful, a beautiful time in music where um, you really had to, to, how would you say you had to be, you couldn't be a, um, I'm thinking of right words here, Mark. Um, you just had to really be a part of a scene for you to understand what was going on and what was happening. Like there's so many people that are kind of, at least here in San Francisco, like the city here has changed so much where people really just kind of, they're looky-loos. Like they're not really um, ingratiating themselves into the scene. They're not really becoming part of what's happening. They're just kind of shopping for what's going on without really committing to it. And and that era, people really were just all in making punk scenes, passing out flyers, doing it yourself shows at a church or whatever it is. I mean, it was like a brilliant time. Um, so my childhood was very much influenced by what was happening um, where you live. I love that whole idea of having to be so committed to something that you you were all in or, or you yeah. weren't. And I, uh, yeah, I, I, I get that completely. Mm. And, and the dark side of that, and I felt foul of this to a degree, is elitism. Dark yeah, absolutely. It. You know, totally. I'm better than you because you don't, you've never heard, you've never even heard of Space Man. Uh, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and they were the best band that ever came out of rugby, but that is a very, very small market. Um, yeah, Space Man 3, amazing. I, I, maybe things are better now, Andrew, when we're a little more eclectic and a little more absolutely or, or, or maybe there's a sense of I don't know there's something about the jarring of cultures and mm. I always I, I just remember seeing someone one of my daughter's friends turned up in a pair of joggers jogging trying mm. like sweatpants mm. and a pair of Nikes and a um I can't remember I think it I think it was a Nirvana not Nirvana it wouldn't have been Nirvana it would have been Pixies Pixies team mm -hmm. I remember mm -hmm. looking at them and thinking well I'd never have put those things together you really couldn't get <laughs> about Pixies right Frank Black would never have dressed like that now <laughs> he probably would have done actually um, <laughs> so so I can see this kid now you said something really interesting there you said 
you know, you've got a brother and you've got, you got, you were the middle sibling and you were kind right. of, I don't know whether you used the word invisible, but maybe hard to see. No, bit invisible for sure. Absolutely. And, and, and obviously there's a natural conversation we can have about, about you then doing something where you need to be less seen than other people. Right. But, but I'm also really interested in, in that finding your way through, through the teenage years. Yeah. Goodness. Oh, yeah. The, right. By feeling the edges of society, by, feeling, yeah. by, 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 by finding finger holds in places mm. that others weren't. Right. And I mean, you, it was. Doing that, man. Okay. Pardon? You just carried on doing that. I just kind of <laughs> carried on. Well, I also was a scout um, and got all the way to, I have my Eagle Scout. So I feel like I was grounded with, with scouting. Um, but. And I played football, soccer, we call it here, football, um, and and I skateboarded. Um, and I think all three of those things, albeit they're so different from one another, just kind of kept me moving in the right direction. Um, and I never, I, I was never good at mixing those three groups. It was really difficult. I kind of really separated them as if they're different kind of like, I, I, ids of me or something. I don't know. It was kind of a strange thing. I just had a hard time putting them together. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I mean, you're, 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 you and your, and your wife are, are wrapping up the last of your teenagers to go. So I'm sure that's on, on your mind. And, and I'll call you in like what, eight years to get advice when Sophie's a teenager. <laughs> oh man, there's no um, advice anyone can give you. Everyone's different and it's exhausting. I know. I know, God, I know. <laughs> I am. But you know, go ahead. No, after you. Oh, well, I was just going to say, you know, going back to what you're saying about elitism and, and music and fashion and style, you know, as much as everyone wants to kind of bark on the millennials, I, I have to give them credit to look at the glass half full that, um, that they've kind of broken down the walls in, in um, subculture. Where when you and I are getting up, young and teenagers, as we both said, we were kind of all in in a genre, all in in a subculture. And that was that your life was like, you know, your old military pants and Chuck Taylors and a jean jacket and a patch on the back that said New Order. And that was it. You couldn't steer off that path. But I give these kids credit today that they're just kind of like genreless. They're like, yeah, I listen to Kanye West and I'm into like weird Brian Eno music. And I'm like, how's that possible? And, um, and for whatever it's worth, maybe that breaking down those walls is, is kind of discrediting and putting away a little bit of elitism. Um, as we kind of look back on priding ourselves on this knowledge and being a part of like a, such a, something that was so small. Um, I mean, it's just a different time. And again, I think I, I attribute so much of it to information when we were young information wasn't readily available and you really had to you had to like go far to figure out what was what and how to get this and to listen to bands or go early to listen to the first of three opening bands to discover things where now there's no magic in finding it or the magic's in a different way um and it's all kind of um less with your feet planted on the ground and more you're part of a digital two-dimensional world I love that. There's less magic in finding it. So mm -hmm. you see the magic elsewhere. And, and, and I agree with you, by the way. I I'm a massive fan of millennial thinking. I don't I don't have any truck in this slagging them off and and, and being negative. Yeah. And actually, when right. I Simon Sinek's um, talk about not even talk question about millennials, he doesn't slag them off either. What yeah. Simon Sinek is saying, he isn't saying that millennials are lazy, that they expect the world. He's saying that anything that they've that they, that they can be accused of is actually a failure of leadership from the parents. And, right. and, 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 I, and I, I, I agree with that to a degree. I, ha, I have mm. to say, yeah. but you've, you've, you've got this um, incredible photo photographic reputation. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> you're, you're also known as one of the nicest people around. <laughs> <laughs> to be, to be, yeah. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Um, I, I, I've, I've got this in my head. I've got this really cool guy, sort of um, skateboarding, keeping his friends separate. D tell me you skateboarded in old swimming pools. Tell I've got this image yeah. 
you definitely yeah you oh, man. Yeah. So it's def- a california thing i think that as an east coaster growing up so when i grew up um skateboarding in the 80s and 90s where i grew up as a teenager that that wasn't like a cool thing to do and not many people did it not like they do today so i mean we were regularly chased kicked out of places beat up um you name it it wasn't i mean it's funny because of how culture has changed and society's accepted it because of um it's you know for whatever it's worth growth uh with the x games and with commercialization of it um it's like you know every dad and kid are on the playground with a skateboard or a scooter but um that wasn't the case growing up so i really love that there was like a, it was a counterculture and i looked to the west coast to see what people were doing here just as much as i was looking to the uk for music i was like what are people doing what are they, you know, what are they, where are they skating? Um, what kind of shoes are they skating in? What kind of boards are they riding? I mean, all that stuff was fascinating to me as a young teenager. And there was this thing that happened in the Oakland Hills here as I'm actually looking at them from my window. In the early 90s, I believe it was 1991, a very good chunk of them burned down to a fire. And all those homes that were just distraught or destroyed and you know abandoned and left empty, um, had these just pools sitting there that were empty. The water was vanished. And for months, the skateboarders would would sneak in and skate these pools and document it. And um, and I got to see those images through skateboarding media from afar and was just thinking, I need to go here. Like that, that you know, between that and what the, the skateboard industry was kind of pumping out with, um, with film of San Francisco, I was like, this is where I want to be. And... Um, it took a bit of time. I was in New York for a bit before here, but um, but I knew like westward was the direction I wanted to go. That's really interesting. Why 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 did Andrew Painter move to California because he wanted to skateboard in pools? I definitely I, I completely <laughs> dig and get that. That that's just an amazing image of a of a and 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 you 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 called it best. You know you sought out the counterculture and it's. Mm. This, this is a really interesting and quite a rich vein because because in a, in a world where everybody was either all into one thing or, or, or all into another, where we were tribal, then mm-hmm. there was really clear countercultures. It, do you feel that there's still countercultures when everyone's a little bit more embracing for all the positives that that brings? Yeah, still, yeah. Still countercultures out there, or have they just moved into political or or? or or sexual politics realms. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, I, that's a it's an interesting question because, again, like going back to the young kids today and how walls and barriers are being broken down, um, uh, it has changed. And the top, the conversations have changed. I mean, as a kid growing up in the American South, like we never spoke about politics and religion with with people that we didn't know or with people that you just weren't sure where they stood. It was like, I was raised, like, it's not polite to talk about that stuff. Um, I, I grew up in a place that was a great suppression for, for the freedom to express yourself, um, whether it was a social cause or whether it was a political cause, whether it was a race or gender cause. Um, and that's changed today. And while that's changed, some of the other things that were considered counterculture are kind of now um they're now looked upon as 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 not negative things they're accepted or widely accepted so perhaps maybe that's what's changed it now the and again with information just readily available and kind of flying around that people are getting more involved politically i mean at least i mean i guess we're we're both talking to each other from places that are in crazy grave danger with politics and i think to look at the glass half full so much great creativity comes out of that kind of tension. Um, if 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 you were to look at it in a positive note, and and I think that's what the the conversation is. I mean, it's we're hopefully we're evolving as people and becoming more and more accepting of people of who they are. And you know, I'm just looking for a world one day where. I don't, how do I explain this? I can I can equivalent this to being on my my child's. Uh, grade school campus where these kids they don't see skin color or or accent or um or 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 like what house did you grow up in or what what kind of car did your mom drop you off and they just accept one another because they're kids and i know at some point that changes 
But at some point, it would be incredible to watch our world move into a direction where, like, that's how we think. And we don't necessarily wear our those badges on our sleeves to um, differentiate ourselves from one another. Um, and, and maybe these conversations are opening up in a way that will allow us to to be more respectful of other people's ways that they may have not understood or known in the past. Because I think that's the biggest problem in our world is people fear things because they don't have any idea of what it is. And because they have no idea, it they're terribly terrified of, of change or people that are different, that if that makes sense. No, it does. And, and um, I, I was with you all along then, and then I was not with you. I was, I was with you because you because because people are accepting and the world is changing apart from those that aren't and right. it's kind of like all in or all out again the way you what you describe is my my tribe on mm -hmm. social media my friends in london mm -hmm. my dude community my good life experience community you describe that really well and yes. then where i live because i live in the british midlands i live in old coal mining it's lovely it's beautiful actually um mm. but but the social progression or the social progressive aspiration is different right and, and there is very poor understanding it's not that there's any embedded hate or distrust there's just there's there's just not knowing and, right and and that sums up both of our political challenges in both sure. and, and and here and yeah I mean, I think you get it better because I think after the very maximum of eight years, you're free. Um, right. <laughs> it seems like a long time. It's, it's forever, you know, leaving is forever. I know. I know. It's bonkers. I, I have been watching the BBC and listening to it and nervously kind of awaiting some kind of, um, you know, a decision or some kind of a solution. It's, it's incredible um, how parallel as you said, in different ways, um, our continents are going through and what, what's happening with them. And um, it's interesting. I feel like there's a revolt against the, the old ways of things and, and how people did stuff. And so much of the world is run by um, elitists and, and wealthy people that um, none of us would ever fathom how, you know, their power and wealth. But um, at some point, like people have to speak up for themselves and their communities, and and to not to be overlooked and and in moreover, um, kind of abused in systems. And I think that because of you know, I'm not like a mega embracer of technology, but I will say that it would through technology, people's voices are being heard, and I think in a good way, in a positive way. Um, and I'm sure it's going to slow ship, but it it will make changes, which is a great thing for for cultures and society. I think that's right. I think, I mean, it's interesting because I, you know, I think it'd be really easy at this point in both, in, in this juncture, in both mm -hmm. of our civilizations to be really depressed. Yeah. I, I'm actually, I'm actually ultimately positive. And, yeah. And for different and reasons, <laughs> you know, I, I look at, I look at the power that we have in our, in our hands with our little black mirrors. And I think, wow, we've democratized creativity. Yeah. And then I look at people turning their back on the connected world altogether and going right. back to making things the right way, a shift back to analog in music, mm -hmm. and in your world, mm. photography. And I sure. think this is more considered. There's something really lovely about this. Yeah, yeah, and my yeah final, absolutely. My final question, because we've been 50 minutes now, and I've, oh, loved every, I've loved every single one of them, and we could do another, <laughs> and we probably will. But are, are you... Are you um, are you an optimist, Andrew? Yeah, absolutely. I will say I'm, and my mom has always said this about me and my my personality. I'm very, very optimistic. I I never look at the the bad that could come out of things. I mean, I'm cautious, but I've always been an optimist um, in how I approach life in general. Absolutely. Andrew Painter, the cautious optimist. I <laughs> fucking love you. I love talking to you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Mate, I, it's, do you know what, in the same way that being the photographer is the gift, mm. is, is receiving the gift, being the person recording these is receiving the gift. No, that's and thoughtful. You have been incredibly generous. And I just, there's loads of things here about, about your role, about growing together, about mm. everyone loving, everyone loving beginnings. 
But yeah, I, yeah. I, I go back to that phrase you said about a third of the way through, the camera gave me a chance to meet people and talk about their lives. And, and through that surely greater understanding, empathy, and um, if you know someone, you can't, you can't fight them, can you? No, absolutely. That's, that's, that's well said. Yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's definitely been a, a pleasure chatting with you and I've really enjoyed getting to know you and your family and, and the chance that we got to see one another, um, both in, in Wales and here in Oakland. I assume that if all things go well, I'll probably see you on your side of the world in the near future. I'm hoping so, my friends. And if not, right, mister. I, I think we're back in, I think we're back in uh, America next. Some of the kids really want to come back to Portland. And if we're, oh, wow. if, if we're in Portland, we'll, we'll take a flight down and see you. In wow, fact, Tilda, yeah, my, my middle daughter is over in, um, where is she? She's in LA, then, really? in, then in Seattle, and then in Port San Diego, LA, LA Seattle, Portland. And and she may be down in San Francisco after that. If so, I will um, I'll I'll hook you up. Yeah, tell her to reach out to me. I would be more than happy to show her around or give her advice on things to do or things to not do. Um, of any of those cities, I know them all really well. So please, you're welcome to email and introduce us, and I'd be more than delighted to to help her in any way I can. Oh man, you're one of the nicest people. Yeah, <laughs> it's and great chatting with you. Thank you. I'll stop this and then I'll just finish off with a, with a nice, uh, yeah. I'll stop. So that was, a, that was a great conversation. What, what a lovely man. And that whole kind of role of, of the photographer, of, of the observer, and, and the whole notion of whether the camera gets in the way or creates the way really fascinates me. Really, really fascinates me. Um, and I'm, I mean, maybe it's because of growing up you know, with photography surrounding me, I'm really aware of how different photographers behave and how they um, how they use their camera to get the results that they get. And, you know, just, I love that whole idea of, of seeking out the outsider. I love that whole idea of kind of not, not quite fitting in and having to look somewhere else for your inspiration. And whilst Andrew was looking over to the UK in the late, mid to late 80s uh, 10 years earlier I was looking nowhere else other than California um, and looking at America for my cultural references and icons uh, mainly because my favorite music at the time was like 1950s rock and roll um, and that's it all happened over there so I just really dig this idea of me looking one way and him a decade later looking the other way and uh, and and the, the party's always going on in the room that you're not, isn't it? I guess. So, um, a genuinely beautiful conversation with a beautiful man. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening.